2: it is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before we get started, I wanted to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, FreshBooks. FreshBooks is an online service designed to make life easier for small business owners and freelancers by providing various accounting tools that help save time and keep all your records in one tidy location. You can give it a try today using the 30-day free trial they're providing to our listeners at FreshBooks.com slash PDOCast. Just make sure to enter that the hockey PDOCast sent you and you can start today. Also sponsoring today's show is SeatGeek. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout that you weren't expecting. It's pretty much the opposite of that feeling when you find a $20 bill in the pocket of an old pair of jeans that you haven't worn in ages and didn't even know you had. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Speaking from personal experience, because I know our listeners love when we discuss basketball in this hockey podcast, I actually gave SeatGeek a world for the first time recently when buying tickets to go see the Golden State Warriors play in Oakland, which is coming up in March, and from what I've heard, uh, seeing the Warriors play live is as close to a religious experience as a sporting event can be, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. But anyway, SeatGeek essentially did all the work for me. They pulled the tickets available on different sites into one place and showed me the best values using their innovative grading system. They're offering our listeners a deal where they get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase today. So to give that a shot, just download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter the promo code PDO, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Just download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code PDO today. Video cast. My name is Patrick Korophovic and joining me is uh my good friend Jeff Merrick. Jeff. What's going on? Man? Dimitri, uh,
1: things are good. Uh, was really happy to see a trade deadline around the Sportsnet studios, darkening the doors and glad handing with uh, the executives of the broadcasters of the former GMs, the former players. It was, I was very proud of you at that moment, Dimitri. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It's kind of like when I brought Greg into the trade deadline for the first time. It's like, oh, look, our little boy's all grown
2: up. Yeah, no, it was remarkable kind of, especially being in that in that green room with the super comfy couches, just listening. To, basically, <laughs> everyone was just having uh, the types of conversations they're having on the air except with uh, some yeah. more colorful language so it was, it was fun okay. to be part of that
1: the, the one thing that you'll you'll quickly realize when you start hanging around uh, a lot is everybody rips everybody else and everybody else in the industry. Yes, especially when you, especially when you get coaches together, it's hilarious. Yeah. Like when and I'll, I'll I'll omit the names, but various coaches that I've worked with as force at uh, in the past, when they get together, like a couple of coaches who get together, they will spend the entire time ripping other coaches. But in public, all you hear about is this great fraternity of respect that every coach has for one another. Dude, it's vicious. Make sure you're a fly on the wall when uh, when coaches get together. It's hilarious.
2: <laughs> Will do. Oh I'll, uh, I'll pull out my phone. Fo- I'll pull out my phone, keep it in my hand, click the record button, and I uh, have some good content well, for later.
1: What did you and I swear I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, hijack yes. the podcast and host it this time. I swear right. but I do want to ask you a couple of questions about your trade deadline experiences. Um because I, I listened to the the uh, your, your post-trade deadline podcast today on the treadmill with uh with down goes brown and, and Elliot, and I was I was kinda looking forward to to hearing your thoughts of the whole experience like the whole from the from the, the behind the scenes at the um, uh, at, at the sportsnet side of things not necessarily like all the trades and breaking them down and wow ham wouldn't wave and all that kind of stuff but just what were your thoughts sort of being around you know uh, a, a trade deadline at sportsnet
2: yeah well i think i had a, a much different experience than most of the other guys there because i feel like i wasn't phased at all by the fact that there wasn't really anything going on for the first like five or six hours of the day i was kind of just like yeah. walking around just bouncing around and and trying to talk to as many people as I could and introducing myself and, and sort of just getting the hang of it. And I, I'm sure a bunch of the other guys there that have been doing this for years now are like, Oh God, this is so boring. I can't wait to just go home and have a beer. But where I was like, man, this day, like, can't like, like I wish it would just keep going. I was, I was so sad that it actually wound up ending yeah. eventually, but no, it was a lot of fun and I got to meet a lot of cool people. And I think that uh, it kind of gave me a little bit of an appreciation for some of the people that I've in the past uh, poked fun at. For, uh, some of the things they've said on the air because you sort of realize that all of them are, uh, just like regular dudes who, uh, are actually really nice and, and you don't, you don't get to get that sort of vibe from them when you listen to them talk about stuff that you might not necessarily be agreeing with hockey wise. So it was, mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was kind of fun. It gave me a different little perspective, but, uh, hopefully I'm sure for people listening, don't worry. I'm still going to keep a little bit of that edge when it comes to, uh, discussing people, uh, personalities that are in the industry.
1: Well I'm glad you caught up with Damien Cox. That's great news. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad you guys could could have a conversation. That's fantastic, to Dimitri.
2: Hey, don't no, no me and Damian, me and Damien are great. Don't 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 try to drag something out of it.
1: No, I know. You know what, Dimitri you know what, Dimitri, the one thing that Damien loved that you did was put up that uh that gif of Cliff Pooh of the London Knights yes, a that. couple of months ago. He's like, Oh wow, I gotta find this. Where's this guy? Where's this guy? Wait a minute, I have this guy blocked. Why do I have this guy blocked, Jeff? I'm like, I I don't know. I have no idea. It was a, one of our animated conversations on Friday night hockey anyway uh World Cup talk yes
2: so um for those that missed it which I I don't know how they could have I feel like everyone is on Twitter all day and especially in the afternoons no one's actually working people are just uh keeping up with what's going on in the hockey world and the preliminary rosters were announced today it was uh I think every team announced 16 of the 23 spots so (laughs) let's try and not use the word snub because it's quite possible that most of the guys that are quote unquote snubs will wind up making the team eventually on June 1st. So there, are I guess they're more omissions than snubs. So, um, I don't know. I, I think we're, let's start with Team Canada. I think that okay. it's sort of tough to quibble. Like all of it's really nitpicking because they have just have such a, a wealth of, of talent to choose from that it's, it's not like I remember when we were discussing the, we were previewing the world junior tournament back in December and we were saying how, uh, in recent years, hockey Canada's, kind of more so embraced actually just bringing their best players and and hoping that they'll all eventually mesh and and fit and work together just because they're so talented that they can't not do that um whereas in in past years they'd sort of try and fit guys into roles where you'd be like well this guy is more of a third line fourth line type so he'll he'll fit in in this tournament more so kind of playing a role he's familiar with and i think the interesting thing for me is look for people that look at it from an nhl perspective and still believe that a fourth liner has to resemble a certain type of player and certain type of style. It's funny that in this tournament where, you know, you'd think that um, pretty much every player is in play, that the guys are are sort of assembling their roster this certain way. And now, obviously, every NHL team is not going to have the luxury of having, you know, Ryan Getzlaff be their fourth line center. But I'm saying that it's (laughs) sort of the philosophy is something that you can really kind of translate and take into account moving forward towards the NHL.
1: Yeah, I think the last time you and I were on talking about that that World Junior Tournament, we talked about the Sochi model and and that's what this is as well. It's um, you know, Ryan Jankowski and everyone in Hockey Canada um have this idea and it's quite simple and, and you nailed it too, where once upon a time and the the touchstone for this was ninety eight Nagano, um, where you wanted a fourth liner to do what a fourth liner does in the NHL, nice. damn it. The idea now is you put the best players on and you assume that skill is going to adapt, that you hope that, you know, Steven Stamko is playing. Well, I was going to say Steven Stamko is playing out of position, but he plays more wing than he plays center with Tampa. So maybe that's a bad example, but maybe someone like, you know, Tyler Sagan won't necessarily play center. Uh, He'll find himself as a winger. He has played that, of course, in in Boston before, and he's done a little bit in Dallas as well. But that's the whole idea, because the one thing that'll jump out at you when you look at this initial 16 from Canada is, man, that's a lot of centermen man, that's a lot of guys that play center. There's your Bergeron, there's your Carter and Crosby and Getzlap and Sagan and, you know, question mark beside Stanquist, but John Tavares and Jonathan Taves. That's a lot of centermen uh, that are going to be asked to adapt, but that's the same thing that they did in Sochi. And so the model remains the same uh, and the philosophy remains the same. Skill adapts and that's what Canada's going to go for again this year. To me, one of the big questions is too, and I'm not the only one to have brought this up, but if Carey Price doesn't get into any games this year for Montreal did they let him start in the World Cup the Habs I mean
2: yeah no, that's that's a tough question to answer i mean i think that all signs point to he should be good to go by then like even if even if he doesn't play in any more games this year just because the haves are are out of it and they decide that it's not really worth it to risk re-injury like he's gonna have all, all summer to to rehab and and get in you know in, into game shape so i think if anything the Habs might view that as sort of a i guess a more serious kind of preseason training camp vibe right which i i think yeah. is going to be something that's going to really uh permeate into this tournament and i'm not sure for the better where when it's in season obviously guys are sort of more banged up and there's a higher likelihood that guys will have been injured and might not be available for the tournaments like in the olympics but it, it's you're sort of going 110 percent and going going full bore in the during the nhl schedule and then you get into the olympics and you sort of carry it over and it has a certain intensity and a certain vibe to it And i think that this tournament at least early on will probably not resemble that, right? Like, I think yeah. it's going to be much more sort of a uh, lackadaisical and really getting into shape as opposed to really trying to kind of kill the other team and and and, and win the win the tournament.
1: Injuries are going to be fascinating to me because the last time we saw the World Cup was two thousand and four. It was the last cash grab before the lockouts. Hmm. Um, you know where uh, where where Ted Saskin and Bill Daly were trying to hammer out at the eleventh hour a CBA at uh, at Hurley's, you know, the Irish bar in Montreal, uh, not that far from the Bell Center. You know everyone knew that you know when that game was over, the next step was to shut the doors, so injuries really didn't in some ways matter. I just wonder what the reaction is going to be to the tournament this year if a couple of really key players are lost for significant amounts of time after this tournament, and Kerry Price is the obvious one for Montreal that as we've seen is i mean he's the he's the franchise there. And where 2004, we all knew was coming. So, did it really matter that a, a player got injured? Well, no. And the player would end up getting paid for the entire locker, for the the, the length that he was injured, anyhow. But this time it's different because at, the, at this this tournament's end, I mean, I, I know you're going to bring up Olympics, but I think everyone says, well, it's worth it when it when it comes to the Olympics. I, I wonder if the vibe will be the same this time around. Let's say. You know, uh, Canada ends up winning the gold, but Sidney Crosby's injured and it costs the Pittsburgh Penguins an entire season of number 87. Well, Penguins fans say, well, you know what? It's the World Cup and it's a big deal. They're committed every four years. So it was worth it. Not so sure that it will be the same vibe as if someone was lost, like, you know, Hashik was in the Olympics and absolutely stung the Ottawa Senators that time around. I'll be curious to see what injuries do with fan bases, because right now, you know, everyone's going, oh, yeah, tournament's great, international hockey, that's fantastic, until your guy gets hurt. And then maybe you change your perspective on this whole thing
2: right and I mean along those same lines like in Sochi when John Tavares went down with injury but the Islanders weren't necessarily uh, as good as they are as they were last year or this year right so it wasn't it was a story and obviously there was um, I'm sure the Islanders themselves weren't very happy with with how that transpired but it, it didn't have the same sort of impact on the NHL season because it's not like the Islanders are going to win the cup that year but yeah you know you're right if a if a, a really good pl- elite player on a, on a contending team just you know has some sort of cat catastrophic injury that causes him to miss most of the year if not the entire year like there's going to be a really interesting question how that affects 2020 and, and moving forward and whether they're going to have to rethink uh the structure for how how w- like whether players will even deem it really worth it for themselves yeah,
1: it's, it's going to be interesting too because this in a lot of ways is a victory lap for bill daly because this is his portfolio international hockey um has always been the portfolio uh, of bill daly things like the winter classic and 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 uh and, and new media uh, was always the base wick of John Collins. That was his portfolio. But this has always been Bill Daly's baby. And I know he's got a lot riding on it, has been working on this a ton, as you can imagine. So uh, we talk about skin in the game and the NHL and the PA have a lot but I'm guessing this one's pretty personal for Bill Daly, the uh, the deputy uh, deputy commissioner of the NHL. This is this is a big one for Bill. Yeah. All
2: right. Well, let's get into Team Canada's roster. So, sure. Um, th- I think the goalies were pretty much no brainers. Luongo has been great, and he was one of the notable omissions just because he was there in Sochi, and he's been so good for the Panthers this year. But I mean, it's tough to argue with what Corey Crawford and and Braden Holpe have done this year, and and Price yep. obviously is is the no brainer, even though it's a little bit of a wild card, as you said, he might not actually uh, be. On the team, if if the Canadians decide that it's not worth risking it, but I think that uh, but
1: here's he, he, here's a here's a question about the goaltenders. Who's number two? I think it's I think, I think it's think- holby right? Based on what? Not Stanley Cups, not success, well, not big games, not big games. No,
2: that's true. That's true. Well,
1: I mean, like, if, like if, if you go to, and again, we'll see what happens this year in the playoffs, but as, as of right now, would you not have to say Corey Crawford based on experience in big game situations, he'd be the guy. Yeah. Well, I think he, I mean, he, he, it, he, it feels like, it feels like Holtby because we've seen him play like out of his mind this year. He's been, he's already got 40 wins and he's been fantastic, but if you look at the resume and what Hockey Canada would go by, don't you say Crawford's number two?
2: Yeah, I think also even just by his play this year, right, or even the past two years, I think it's it's very easy yeah. to sort of um, – dismiss Corey Crawford it's sort of it's a lose-lose situation for him right because if he doesn't do well he's the reason the Blackhawks lost but if the black when the Blackhawks win it's <laughs> Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tays and all their other guys kind of yeah. scoring the goals and, and Duncan Keith and everything else it's never oh Corey Crawford who has a, a 928 save percentages here by the way no no one's really kind of yep. talking about that and yeah no yep. he's he's been amazing and I think that they definitely couldn't go wrong with any of those three guys uh, I think the question is like what's what's Mike Smith going to be doing for this tournament do you think he's gonna be uh, kind of just like <laughs> sitting at home really really depressed just they eating don't... a bunch of ice cream
1: you don't want a puck-moving goaltender yeah. on your <laughs> roster? What are you thinking? You just want goalies to stand there and stop shots? Who's going to move the pucks? Yeah,
2: well, I mean, with all without all Marty St. Louis around this time, they don't really need anyone to uh, carry him around on his shoulders after in the, during the parade, so uh, <laughs> the rule for Mike Smith isn't really there. It,
1: it, interesting Marty St. Louis comparison with, uh, and we'll get to it maybe later, with uh, Peter Schrelly and Ryan Newton-Hopkins, yes. but uh, maybe more on that later.
2: Yes. Um, let's do the defense because Dowdy and Keith were obviously no-brainers, and Vlasic for the casual fan might have been a little bit of a surprise, but I mean, he's just he's so he's great, he's so good at at everything, just doing it like very subtly, and he's never gonna blow you away, but he's so effective. And uh, Shea Weber being picked over PK Subban, for example, is something that uh, let's say it wasn't very well received online, and and I poked fun nope. at it as well. It, yeah. I don't know, it, it, it's so tough because I think Shea Weber is still a good player. Um, he's definitely not better than pk Subban at this point of his career uh but uh, he could like the th- it's such a weird timing right because if if suban's the fourth guy and then they announce shea weber on june 1st i don't as the seventh defenseman for example i don't think anyone is really taking that much issue with it but just because of the timing yeah. this way which might not necessarily even mean how canada's actually going to deploy their guys or how they think about them it's uh mm-hmm. it really just throws a monkey wrench into it
1: let me play devil's advocate yes because you and I are on the same page about P.K. Subban, and he's on my team every day of the week. Let me play devil's advocate here. Um, The one thing about P.K. Subban is he is prone to the turnover. Now, I still maintain that he creates more than he costs, and ultimately I'll take that. You know, He's like, what, 57% hockey player, and I'm going to take that every night of the week. I'm good with that. Um, But if you have someone that's prone to the turnover in a short tournament – Given that you know one of his main assets is creating offense, if you have a forward group that has zero problem creating offense, like if you run down those names, you know Jamie Benn and Sidney Crosby and Tyler Sagan and John Tavares and Jonathan T, like go right down that list. Like there's a lot of names, there's a lot of guys that can create offense. If you're Hockey Canada, are you saying to yourself, "Do we need a high-risk defenseman whose main caveat is creating offense when we've got a forward group that can do that, and we can leave PK Subban off and leave the turnovers at home?"
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely not the right person to ask this question because I I, I, I understand <laughs> I understand the the thought process you just laid out, and it makes total sense. But I'm the type of person that like. I hate when NHL teams, when they're up four one heading into the third period, they just go into that uh, defensive shell where they turtle and just basically stop playing their game and let other teams claw back into it. And then everyone's like, "Oh, my my coach is is you know so conservative." It's like, no, it's just the way hockey's played. Every every team does this. Every team's prone to it. And so I'm always of the belief that you should really just be trying to uh, to play your game and create as much offense as you can. Like you can't have too much offense. So I think that. It, it's one of those things where I don't think playing Shea Weber over P.K. Subban is suddenly going to submarine Team Canada. Like they're, they're so deep and so talented that it won't make that much of a sort of tangible difference. But if you're just trying to optimize the roster, that's where I sort of take issue with it.
1: Yeah, let's not forget too, Hockey can. I mean, this country is so conservative when it comes to their sport. You know, we think that you know Americans are conservative about football. No, they're not, because they're always, you know, always you know uh, changing things and, and the way they approach the game and the way that they attack. Hockey gets dragged, kicking and screaming into innovation, into new, in, into new ways of thinking. I, you know, I think we've been blanketed by history. I think that we, um, as as Canadian hockey fans and, and as hockey um, entities, I think we have. We have so much that we're dragging with us that it's hard to do anything. I mean, we have the weight of you know decades upon decades upon decades of how the you know how the game was supposed to be played and 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 success at it. Like nothing forces you to change more than losing. Which is why I still maintain the worst thing that could have happened to Canada is what happened in 1972. They beat the Soviet Union. Now, had they not beaten the Soviet Union, it would have forced hockey, it would have forced Canada to really have a hard look at itself and perhaps change the way that it played. I say that ha- ha- more than halfway believing it, but another part of me says, "Well, our country just would have come up with excuses instead." Um, but you know, as long as there is. You know, as long as there is that success, I mean, look at the program of excellence. I mean, the program of excellence—the sort of hot house that is Hockey Canada now. I mean, that came after you know, internationally, Canada kept getting starched, right? That's what—that's where that came from. So when things are going good, and maybe this speaks to your question about Shea Weber, when things are going good with Canada, we don't like to change things, even though, and this was part of the success of Glenn Sather with the Oilers, I mean, he always maintained every year, even if you're winning, especially if you're winning, actually, you need to change your roster 15%, just to keep things fresh and keep some hungry guys in that room, because once complacency sets in, you're dead, and look what happened after Salt Lake City. I mean, Canadians, uh, Canadian hockey people are loyal, and they will bring back those that had success with them before and we're seeing this on 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 this roster and ultimately if listen if if shea weber is a is a you know uh, nowhere near the the same shea weber we saw in sochi we'll point to the same reason it's you know it's a a canadian loyalty they have to their hockey players that bring home gold medals that that kind of keeps them away from making some really hard choices sometimes Mm -hmm. that's that's my that's my thought. It, it really moves very conservatively in this country, and and let's not forget too. If I can get even more sort of artsy about this thing, you know, one of the main differences, and Margaret Atwood would always point this out, where you know you, you look at our neighbors, in the United States. I mean, their mentality is conquer, conquer the land. You know, go west, young man, tame the land. It's all about conquering, and, and overcoming. Where, you know, we live in a country that has four very distinct seasons. Geographically, we're really spread apart. You know, there's, there's about 30 million people, 35 million people in this country over a geography that's only rivaled by Russia. We have an aesthetic of endurance, not conquer, and you see it in every element of our society, and you see it in hockey as well.
2: Right, there's like a little bit of a possessive nature where it's like it's our sport, so we're trying to uh, trying to guess not lose rather than trying to go out and win it. Right, it's sort of like a, a little bit of a foregone conclusion or a little bit of an attitude where it's like, yeah, like we Canada should be winning this tournament, so let's not uh, do anything yeah. to rock the boat and mess that up.
1: Which is bizarre, too, because one of the things that we bitch and moan about here in Canada so often is how the rest of the world doesn't appreciate the game the way that we do and how come the rest of the world isn't playing the game that we do. But then when another country has the nerve to pick up a hockey stick and get better at it than us, we get very defensive about it. Well, hang on, Canada. You can't have it both ways. If you want this game to be exported internationally, there's going to come a time when someone is better than you. And you know what? It's going to be the people to your south right now. It's going to be the United States
2: right well it's that old hipster adage right where uh y- you keep when there's like some some local band that's that no right. one knows yeah. of you keep telling your friends to listen to it and then as soon as your friends start listening to it you're like hey man that's not yeah. cool like like I-, I was listening to them way before you were you can't adopt them like i used yeah, to I, lo- so, I-, I used to love uh, i used to I I love YouTube, like
1: right tuned out after boy man after that i sold out man <laughs>
2: uh so let's okay so we named the four defensemen um i assume they're going to bring three more on june 1st yeah. um so the names the obvious names are pk there's Latang. there's uh petrangelo brody giordano brent burns brian campbell i mean the list goes on and on there you can really choose from from anyone who you put Seabrook in there I didn't put Seabrook in the list. i uh I don't know I, I just think there's better I think options. so, too, think- but
1: don't don't forget I mean I, I we were even saying that I mean, we were at orientation camp in Calgary before Sochi, and we were saying like, can they really bring Seabrook and you know the feeling was in a short tournament like that, you want to, if you have players that have instant chemistry with one another, you know, as opposed to spending a whole tournament looking for it, it's best just to say, you know what, these guys play well together. Let's keep them. I'm not saying it's the right thing, but again, going yes. back to a very conservative hockey well, country just. Lo- just
2: let just let Shea Weber and uh, and Brent Seabrook do rock, paper, scissors and whoever wins can the yeah,
1: that's right. Brent Burns is an interesting one though yeah no I, I like he's, he's had a remarkable I, year He's having a great year and no one's talking about a run for norris trophy. I mean he's no. taken so many shots his shoulders are gonna fall off i mean i listen I, I I love Brent burns. I know that you know we talk about you know prone to be when he was a winger I mean he was a wild man and it was like it was so hard to play with but so fun to watch and he does have sort of some of that element as a defenseman but i I think he may be as far as like elite level d men go he may be the most underrated guy in the NHL. Nobody talks about Brent Burns. And there was a time, like, you remember the World Championships when it was in Quebec City and Halifax? Like, that was a big coming out party for Brent Burns. And that was, oh man, now all of a sudden, that's the next great Canadian defenseman. Then there were concussion issues and various injuries, and he sort of never achieved that. But I I still see that defenseman in Brent Burns. I got all the time in the world for that guy.
2: Yeah. And I have to admit, I was a little bit wrong on him because. I thought that he should have stayed a winger um, just because he was so good with Joel Thornton. And obviously, I mean, it's one of those things where I guess you're trying to mac- maximize value because you could really put anyone with Joel Thornton and they'd probably wind up looking really good. But oh, hi, it, Devin Gucci. Yes, exactly. It just Lewis goes on and on, but no, like he was so dominant for that. I, don't, I guess it was a full year, or a year and a half where uh, yeah. they were playing him like 16 minutes a night, but basically for each one of those shifts that he was taking in those 16 minutes, it was like the ice was so heavy heavily slanted in the sharks favor sure. and it's the opposite of bufflin because i've always thought that bufflin is so much better as a defenseman and just kind of freeing up him to, d- to do a lot more but burns yeah. has been really good this year and i think that um he's on my he's on on that list of like the top 10 guys or so that are in that in that north discussion i mean carlson's gonna run away with it but he's been yeah. he, just just the, the the volume of uh offense he's been generating is is really kind of astounding
1: yeah, it is, and I remember when he was a winger. I mean, because you're right, the rink would would, would tilt uh, as he skated along the ice uh, wherever he went, because you know def- defensemen didn't know what to do with them. Like there's, there are very predictable things that a lot of players do in the NHL, and the only thing you can do is hope that you're quick enough to react to them. But with Brent Burns, like honestly, I'm not kidding, he was a wild man. Like asking any of his line mates, they're like, "Wow, man, it's so hard. It's hard to play with him. have <laughs> like he's great. We love him. He's fantastic. He's got so many skills. Man, sometimes we don't know where he's going because you know he's, he was a defenseman for so long, even though he had flip flop before to the point where I thought that every now and then San Jose would be kind of kind of well served by you know playing him up front for a game or two here and there just to throw defenses off because he is." He is so unconventional as a winger, and, and that to me made it just so much fun to watch because you know normally wingers, although it is changing now, you know are kind of like table hockey and just sort of patrol and go up and down the boards. And that wasn't Brett Burns. Well, he was he was he was out there.
2: I mean, you're you're much more of a hockey historian than I am, so maybe you can answer this. But uh, do you ever remember a guy sort of doing that, where even if it's like in game, where the team just decided, like, listen, he's going to spend like half of this game playing up front and then the other <laughs> half of the game on the blue line and the other team is it, it must like sort of just it would probably drive the other team's coach crazy right because you couldn't really account for like what was happening on the fly you'd be like you'd be like looking at the guys on the ice and you'd be like wait a second is burns What what is he doing right now who's he playing with like yeah. what's going on right i feel like it'd be it'd be a nightmare at least until teams kind of caught on to if you had a pattern or something like that
1: Red Kelly won four Stanley Cups as a centerman and four Stanley Cups as a defenseman with two different teams, Detroit and the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's the answer to one of the great trivia questions of all time, which is who holds the record for the most Stanley Cups with eight and never played for either the Oilers or the Montreal Canadiens? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Red Kelly was one of those guys. Um, who, who could play both positions, could play up front and could play defense and could bop back and forth. But I always thought that, you know, a couple of things that I've, that I've been pining for. Uh, one, defenseman that can take faceoffs in their own zone. That used to be a thing. Alan Stanley would do that. Ray Bork used to actually do that uh, with Boston. And if you look at it from a coach's point of view, it actually does line up a lot better uh, when you can have a defenseman take your faceoffs. And uh, I know it's not a skill that defensemen necessarily work on anymore. Uh, so that day is, is, is probably gone. And and the other is the guy that can play uh, up and back and does so in the same game like we've seen of course we've seen defensemen you know oh you know spot duty oh we need you as a winger on the fourth line you're a seventh defense we've seen that before but there's still some things that i think we're all sort of waiting to see happen that next sort of evolution of hockey player And it's for me the guy that can can play both back and up front
2: yeah i mean it must be such a, th- a tough thing to do that's i guess that's why guys like bufflin and burns are are just such a rare breed they're just just such unique totally. specimens right that they can do both very effectively without any sort of noticeable <laughs> kind of growing pains or, or bumps along well, the way mark wood.
1: Strait. yeah mark, mark Strait was that guy right i mean mark Strait was that guy with montreal so <laughs> there are there are some of them still sort of out there but no yeah none of them to the excellence it is you know Buffalo or dust or brent uh, burns
2: okay so do we think who are the other who are the three guys then pk Latang has to be on there I assuming you he's, uh, assuming, on he, on he, there? assuming he's yeah. healthy which is a big assumption at this point. I mean, there's so much time for him to get injured between now and now and then.
1: Of course, let me let me throw a wild name at you. Maybe mm. what about TJ Brody? Yeah, well, I know you love TJ Brody. You see, the, the, well, it's my two yes. kids' names, and I swear there's name before that, before he before he popped. Although I did see him play in the OHL. Yes. Um, see, Hockey Canada likes to always sort of bring someone. Right. You know, who you don't sort of expect to give I mean Jonathan Taves to the World Championships, right? Mm-hmm. Uh wasn't true Doughty the seventh in Vancouver right. as well. He ended up being like the best defenseman on the right. team. Um so they always bring one that kind of makes you go, Oh yeah, really? And you kinda of look at it at it sideways. I, I do wonder if T J Brody could be that guy this time around.
2: Yeah, no, it's possible. I mean there's a there's a long list of guys they could pick from. Like it I don't know if mark giordano his own teammate for example might be ahead of him on that on that pecking order and like where, where does a guy like petrangelo who's sort of not in the forefront so they, of our minds right now just because he's been injured yeah. but he's
1: also a really really good player uh yep and they wanted him along with jay Olmeister uh for sochi but the thing about giordano that that would that would be working against him would be his age like if Aki can is going to kind of go off the board generally they bring someone younger into the elite level program at the pro level as opposed to like hey it's the last hurrah for for mark giordano internationally ah, let's do the old guy a favor and bring him on he's still got some game
2: well another guy similarly like he, he's not going to make the team under any circumstances but a guy like brian campbell this year has been so sneakily yeah. amazing like no one really realizes it obviously ekblad sort of gets all the all the hype on that blue line but he's just been so good at it he just does everything well right like it's it's that sort of yeah. thing where he skates so well that he's able to disrupt offense without necessarily being overly physical and has a really good stick and is very active and and he's so good at moving the puck that everything just comes together and he's the perfect two-way defenseman
1: and i think that every time tom gilbert gets paid he should send a portion of his paycheck to brian campbell Mm. because in florida as you all know those two are outstanding yes
2: uh okay let's move up front i don't think there's very much argument like I saw the biggest omissions were guys like Matt Duchesne and and Corey Perry and that's fine but I I love the line you were mentioning earlier where Doug Armstrong went on TV and he was like it's Canada's tradition to slide centers over to the wing I mean you have got when you have Crosby, Bergeron, Tavares, Taves, Getzlaff like someone's gonna have to move to the middle and I think that Sagan and Stamkos are the two most obvious candidates to just sort of move on to the wing and basically be hired guns to score goals right
1: uh, yeah, that'll happen. I mean, Jeff Carter's played something right. uh, in his past as well. Right. So th- that wouldn't, I don't think, surprise anyone. Actually, you know, one of the more fascinating things for me to watch, I remember um, being at Team Canada orientation camp before the Vancouver games that summer. And uh, the forwards were being run through like these really elite level, like really hard drills. And they're all playing different positions too. Like they really, like the coaching staff really wanted to get the guys thinking. And the guys were making mistakes, like big name guys, like Crosby's making mistakes and Mike Richards is making mistakes and Rick Nash is making mistakes and getting called back. The yeah. only guy that nailed it, like every single, every, every time he was out there uh, on, on every single shift. Was Jonathan mm-hmm. Taves, whether they played him on the wing or they played him in the middle. He was like, it was blowing all of us away. We were like, yep, there's another excellent one by Jonathan. Like, it was remarkable. So I don't think that he plays the wing, but I don't think that he would be out of place playing the wing if they wanted Jonathan Taves to do that. Like every drill, like every, honestly, like Dimitri was, it was freaking uncanny. Like every single drill, he was like the best player on the ice at every position.
2: Um, so who who who's someone that's not amongst the list of guys that was named to the team today that you think has to be on this team? Uh, I think Corey Perry, Perry does.
1: I think mm-hmm. I, I, I think that in a tournament like this. You need someone that can score an easy goal. Like, you know, those games where it's like, oh, it's two to one and the pressure's on and we can all feel it. And if you have to grind for every single goal in this tournament, it's going to be agony. You just need someone that can snap one in out of nowhere. It's always, it's always made someone like Phil Kessel like a really valuable guy because he can take pressure off. Like, I know Phil's got his drawbacks and those are, are, are well told, but he can score an easy goal. He can just come down the wing and bing, it goes in the net. Like You just need someone like that, and I think Corey Perry's that guy, Um, someone that can score the easy goal to take the pressure off. Because in in a tournament like this, if you have to grind it out for every single goal, that is exhausting, both physically and mentally as well. And if you have someone that can just come down the wing and bing, it just goes in the net because that's what you do. I think that's one of the most valuable things you can have. So, to me, Corey Perry is the guy.
2: Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I think for me, it's. What about you? It's me. For me, it's Brad Marchand. Um, I think that. Yeah, yeah and obviously some of it. But he, so, can yes. he
1: can score an easy goal too. he can score an easy yeah. goal too.
2: Well, he's right? he's going to score like thirty-five goals this year, and um, I know. it's one of those things where I can tell, I can, I know, understand that some of the shenanigans kind of rub people the wrong way, but he's just such a good player, and and you were speaking about the chemistry earlier. I think it's a no-brainer to put him with Patrice Bergeron, and and basically have them blank get the other team's best line and just looking ahead like when they have to play team north america which has a ton of speed and we can discuss that in a second i think that having marshawn and bergeron to try and kind of keep up with those guys and slow down uh their top players is is going to be a really good strategy so i I think that i'd be surprised if marshawn doesn't make this team
1: yeah, I would also be surprised if Taylor Hall doesn't make this team. Um, you know, if there's you know, if you want to talk about speed too, I mean I think you have to have him on the left side. Um and you will need to have, you know, Jamie Ben's already been named, but you do need to have some natural wingers. I think on this thing, I think there's only so many sentiment you can ask to play wing. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. Um should allow trades, right? Hey, we got a lot of sentiment here. Anyone wanna anyway. Um yeah, I would say that Taylor Hall is probably in that mix as well.
2: Okay, let's move over to North America. As we mentioned, uh, sure. the 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 U twenty three team, which isn't technically like, as far as I understand it, kind of growing up and playing sports. When you say U something, it means under that age, right? But twenty three year olds are actually on this team, so it's technically so a U twenty four team.
1: Exactly. They call it call it the U twenty four then, because yeah. it's twenty three and under. So as you call it the uh, the U twenty four, I'm with you. That's why you you look at the World Junior Championships every year. It's the U twenty, which means under twenty.
2: Also, how did they come up with the distinction? Like, I think 23 is just seems like a very random number.
1: Uh, that's a really good question. Well, that's um, I don't know how they came up with 23. You know what? CJ would be all over that. It's a good thing to ask Chris Johnson. I think maybe you sort of looked at it and said, okay, so how young can we make this team but still you know, uh, allow them to be competitive? Like, We want to have as many guys who aren't just first-year players on this thing. Um, I would imagine you'd say to yourself, "Okay, we need to have guys that have at least played three years in the NHL, um, and not everyone's making the NHL right out of their draft year." Um, and you could have as many as you know, f- sure five years, sort of six there, years, uh, if you're um, if you're on this team. If you're like you yes. know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Brandon Saad. Or something like that. You need someone that has some type of experience. We just Sean Couturier is an even better example. Someone that's been in the NHL or players that have played in the NHL more than just you know one yes. full season. So I think that's probably where they set it and said we need guys that have had at least a few years of NHL experience just so they don't get trounced. And I think everyone's expecting them to get trounced. But man, if I'm picking a dark horse, like this is the most interesting team to me to watch. This going away, and already it's my favorite team, right? Like I'm not someone that, oh, my passport says Canadian. I'm going to cheer for Canada. I'm cheering for Team North America. This one to me is fascinating, Dimitri. What about you?
2: yeah no well they'll be the funnest team to watch just to see how they kind of uh adapt and hang with some of these other older more experienced teams and but there's just so much speed right like you look at guys like mckinnon and mcdavid and 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 Saad, as you mentioned and you go on on down the lineup and it's just it's crazy they're going to be very difficult to play against and very fun to watch for us i think the funny thing for me is that assuming we're still doing this thing in 2020 uh mcdavid is still going to be on this team because he's not going to be 24 yet so it's uh it's a it's funny that he's like he he could very well be the best player
1: see here's the thing about mcdavid to me and this team is i am hoping for one thing and one thing only from this team like i'm just gonna watch him play i'm gonna have a lot of fun This is a team i'm gonna be cheering for i want team north america to do really well knowing full well they may not but i just hope that they play uh two players and you know who i'm thinking of here too right Connor McDavid on a line with, deal with Dylan Larkin. I don't care who's on the left side. I just want to see that kind of speed. I just want to see that kind of performance because whether it's playing with the Erie Otters and guys couldn't keep up, I can't tell you how many times we saw Connor McDavid make incredible plays and throw a pass to Nick Betts or Alex DeBrinkett or Nick Baptiste and they weren't ready for it because no one thinks and plays at his level. Uh, ditto with the Edmonton Oilers for, for the line mates that he has. Like Guys are just like, whoa, Like I wasn't expecting that. Um, I get the sense that, you know, Connor McDavid and Dylan Larkin could really be something special together. And here's the other reason. As someone that follows junior hockey, uh, I remember specifically in Philadelphia when Dylan Larkin was drafted by the Detroit Red Wings, I sort of threw my papers up in the air and said, well, there goes that dream. And you know what that was, Dimitri? So he gets drafted by the Detroit Red Wings. He's committed to the University of Michigan. There's no way that Detroit is going to encourage a player to decommit from Michigan and go to junior hockey. If it were another team, you say, yeah, you know what? Dylan Larkin's close. Let's get him into the OHL for a year, maybe two, but probably only one, because this guy's close to the NHL. Guess who held his rights in the Ontario Hockey League? The Erie Otters. He would have played a full season. Connor McDavid and Dylan Larkin could have played a full season together in junior hockey. They would have destroyed the OHL. But it was not to right? Because he ended up going to Michigan, and, and, and good for him. Detroit wasn't going to pressure him to do anything other than go to play for, for Red Bears and squad. So I'm just dying to see Conor McDavid and Dylan Larkin play together. This, uh, even though we'll never make up for not being able to see them play with the Erie Otters together, this will go a long way to sort of satisfying my what-if question. What if two of, if not the fastest players in the game Got to play on the line together.
2: Yeah, just put just put a radar gun on the wing with them and uh, <laughs> and have at it. Yeah, no, that'll be re- remarkable to watch. Um, yeah, it'd
1: be great. Who would you put on the left side, Johnny Goudreau?
2: <sighs> yeah, you, you couldn't go wrong with that. You definitely want to put someone that's not going to be like just absolutely overwhelmed by their speed. You, you need someone that's going to be able to at least kind of keep up and and think the yeah. think as fast as they are at least because they're probably not going. You're probably not going to find anyone else that's going to be able to move as fast as they are. But you need someone right. to be at least be in the right spots.
1: Hey, do you think this a tournament like this? Um, because listen, I've been you know banging on the uh, the the drum for a while. I'm sure you have as well. Do you think this could be a coming out party for Sean Couturier?
2: Yeah, well, I was I was amazed that he's still eligible for this team. Like I was like, wait, he's still only 23 years That's old. Right. Like it's, it feels weird. Him, him yeah. and Brandon Saad both just feel like they've been around forever.
1: Well, Saad, I mean, because we've seen Saad in the postseason so much, right, for so long, you just think, like, wow, this guy's old. Well, no, he's just been watching him for a lot of months. He doesn't vanish in April like some of the other young players. He's still playing on into June. I I hope so, man, because I – I mean, I, I there's two guys from that Drummondville team that I'm getting my junior hockey on here now. There's two guys from that team that I really loved, and the other was Andre Pelat, and I still think that Pelat is sort of that like poor man's Hossa slash Zetterberg uh, kind of player who you know fell so late in the draft because everyone just thought he was a product of Sean Couturier uh, with his team. Um, but I've always loved Sean Couturier too. Like, I've man, I've been knocking on everyone's door saying like this guy is better than you think. And this guy is offensively better than you think too. And somewhere down the road, this guy has to be in the conversation for the Selkie trophy.
2: Well, just, I mean, it it seems like a sort of an old adage, but it's true that it's so tough for a young player to instantly come into the NHL and just be handed all those tough defensive minutes and he's never really looked out of place and you know some some people have been critical of him like oh this guy was a top 10 pick he should be producing more offensively but like if you look at all the 5 on 5 production numbers and sort of his rate stats it's like it's pretty clear that he's he if he's not a star yet he's a burgeoning star where it's just a matter of time and opportunity where he's gonna absolutely explode and people are gonna be like whoa where did this come from and it'll be like He's been dropping breadcrumbs here, letting us know that it's, uh, it's eventually going to happen.
1: And you know what? Sometimes like that, it happens when you play best on best and you have you know, uh, players around you that are at the mm-hmm. elite level and so you sort of you know look every year in a tournament like this like that'll be one of the big questions like who is this tournament going to make like who's going to arrive at this tournament who are we going to say like wow this guy just planted the flag in the moon and he's there like who's that guy and i wonder if that could be sean couturier yeah
2: no very well could be um he's probably going to be given a a a massive role playing against other teams best players so he'll he'll have to really handle a lot of that pressure um all right let's let's do one final team before we wrap this up um and total Really unrelated okay. to Team Canada and Team North America, but it's it's uh it's the Russian team, which is interesting to me just because the disparity between their forward group and their blue line is as dramatic as you could possibly uh make it be right like they have three three or four of the most just dynamic prolific offensive players up front and then their blue line is like uh, what uh, 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 andre markov who's approaching 40 years old and that's about it like i like Dmitry orlov as much as the next guy but i don't think he's ready for this sort of a role that he's gonna have to handle on his team and there's just a lot of uh it's basically gonna be uh sammy which he's, I guess he's used to during his time in Colorado, trying to stand on his head with no D in front of him. Or whether it might be Sergei Bobrovsky, who's also yeah. had some experience doing that in Columbus. And basically, they're going to just hope to... I think they're not going to... They have a very small likelihood of actually winning this tournament or even kind of competing up there with some of these other better teams. But they're going to be really fun to watch just because whenever you can get uh, guys like Malkin and Ovechkin on the same team, it's, it's must-watch.
1: If they can get the puck out of their own zone. And this has been the unraveling of Russian teams now. I mean, the long gone, I mean, you go back to the Anatoly Anatoly Tarasov era, and I mean, they were like juggernauts on the blue line. Like Russia produced, you know, elite-level defensemen for a lot of years, and that just stopped. Like for whatever reason, I'm sure someone a lot smarter than me can tell me why, but Russia just stopped producing defense when everybody wanted to be a forward, all the elite level guys became forwards, and you got you know Datsuk and you got Malkin and you got Ovechkin and you got you know Kuznetsov and like though that's what Russia was producing. And, you know, when all the Finnish goaltending instructors started, you know, heading over to Russia, all of a sudden you started to see the Russian goaltending, that top down information program like we saw in Finland, like we saw in Sweden, you started to see Russia developing elite level network minders but the one area that's been sorely lacking is on the blue line and that's what undid them in Sochi like you go right ask anyone what happened to Russia and they say the same thing bad blue line that they haven't been able to produce elite level defense in the way they have forwards now you can say that's changing and maybe it is and Ivan Provorov might be the beginning of that the Philadelphia draft pick the kid playing with the um the uh, Brandon Weekings uh there's another who's going to go in the top 10 this year Mikhail Sergachev, who plays with the Spitfires uh, I mean he may even sneak into the top five this guy is fantastic so there are some good young Russian defensemen on the horizon but there's a whole generation there where they just didn't make defensemen and they're still paying for it. like sure there's again Kulikov sort of sneaks through he ends up in the queue playing for Drummondville Hey, they got one through you know Orlov shows up and he's been really good for the Caps this year and we all know about Andre, Andre Markov but they have spent a lot of time not developing defensemen and they're paying for it still and they'll pay for this tournament as well I'm with you like it'll be exciting to watch when they have the puck in the offensive zone just don't expect it to be easy to get it there because they just don't have the defense when they can hang
2: yeah it's kind of a shame that uh no khl guys are going to be playing for them because i always sort of
1: um are you sure about that i thought the decision was going to be made after the championship yeah i
2: guess that's possible i i thought i thought i saw a headline that said that they weren't but i mean i hope they are just because it's it's i always like these sort of tournaments just because i get to see guys like radulov and kovalchuk where we don't get to see them on a daily basis it's kind of fun to have them in our lives for a couple weeks
1: you want me to feel really old? You want me to sound really old right now, Dimitri? Yes, Here it goes. It. Here's one of one of my issues with international hockey right now, and I love it. I'm bought and paid for. Like I'm sold. Like I'll watch this stuff and I'll, I'll I love it, right? Because it's best on best. It's cool, man. It's great hockey. And sign me up for that any day of the week but what's lost is the mystique like 72 had that there was a mystique 76 had that there was a mystique um, even though 81 had that there was still a mystique because we didn't see these guys before you know we only you know we only heard of the KLM line every now and then they you know, show up as the Red Army would do a barnstorming tour of the NHL and we'd get a peek of them 87 oh the KLM line their full powers what are they really like like you never saw them. I remember 1976 right. was a big tournament uh, for me in my youth and I remember you know my father telling me about the Stastny's. You know these these young kids playing for Czechoslovakia, and you know what they were all about. Uh, certainly, we had Borja Salming playing uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and there he was playing for Sweden. And man, did that look weird seeing him in the Trey Kroner jersey. It was it, it, there was there was still a mystique about these players. I remember talking to um, to Peter Stastny years and years later when I was uh, working at a radio station uh, doing a noon hour hockey show, and we were talking about 1976, and I was like, you know what? As a, as a young kid, that was really You know, cool that my dad would tell me about, you know, this young kid, Peter Stastny, playing for Czechoslovakia, who was this amazing talent. And he said, Oh, that tournament was hard. That tournament was hard for me personally. He said, I said, Why? He goes, Because the dressing room was split right down the middle, and there were Slovaks on one side and Czechs on the other. And he said it was nasty. Like the fact that we got to the to the final against Canada was a miracle. Vladimir Zarilla, you know, the refrigerator repairman, turned goaltender, stood on his head uh, and was remarkable the entire tournament. And in that final game against Canada, until Siller won in overtime. But um, he said that was that was tough because is as political as you might suspect. It was. It totally was in the dressing room. So, but there was that mystique. and that's a, part of that. I think is the attraction for. The World Junior Hockey Championships, the U20s, because you hear about these guys, you read about them online, you get some YouTube clips and a couple of gifs, but you never really see them play. And then at the U20, there, you know, that mystique comes down because finally, you know, you get to see Panarin and you know Tarasenko and Kuznetsov, that great line from the Buffalo tournament. Like, think about that for a second tarasenko because that's a panarin on the same line in buffalo you look back on it now like jesus holy smokes i didn't even get the puck away from them but that but that's but part of that's lost now because i think a cynic would look at this and the olympic hockey tournament as well and say it's nice it's great it's fantastic hockey but it's a bunch of nhlers mixed up with different jerseys right on it now
2: yeah no you're you're right i think that uh wow he really just bummed me out a little bit there and that's a
1: <laughs> no, listen, dude. Listen, <laughs> cheer up, cheer up. The wonderful thing, because the hockey is going to be fantastic. The only thing that's missing yeah. now in international hockey is the mystique, right. because you just you, at, at at the pro level because they're all playing in the NHL. And that's why, to your point, and I'm with you. It would be nice to see some players from other you know countries pro loops playing in something like the World Cup. Because you do, listen, you do see that at the Olympics. Not necessarily mm-hmm. sure you're going to see that at the World Cup of hockey
2: yeah i mean especially with like teams like austria and stuff right where you like you get severin blindenbacher and 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 and, and all these guys and you're like wow this is amazing like check out some of these names like and then you like go hockey db for example or elite prospects and you look up the numbers these guys are putting up and where they've been playing for their careers and i don't know it's like i've always found it to be sort of a fun rabbit hole to go down
1: what i would like to see this thing turn into as well uh, i know they're committed to this every four years is have it You know, have it in different places um, where there's a unique flavor to the Mm -hmm. hockey. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the way hockey is presented in Germany is different than the way hockey is presented in the USA, which is different than the way hockey is presented in Latvia, which is different than it's presented in Russia, which is different than it's presented in Sweden or Canada. Or if Go right down the list. I just hope that we get to a point where this is popular enough that you can take it to strong hockey countries that have a great and very unique way to present the game. And front and center to me is Latvia. To me, there are no better hockey fans in the world than Latvians. Latvians will sing and cheer and have fun and get drunk and have a great time. And vote for Zemgis Then That's right, and vote for Zemgis Gergensens. And everyone will say that's fine, as opposed to those ogres that voted for John Scott, who were destroying the All-Star game. More on that on another podcast. But the Latvians just don't care. They think hockey is great. They think it's a lot. They have, you know, the, To me, the Latvians have the best perspective on the game, period. No one loves it the way that the Latvians do. And I'd love to see something like this in Latvia.
2: Yeah. Well, and if you watch just that one game against Canada, you think they'd also have the best goalie in the world in (laughs) Chris Rizgud Oh,
1: man. You scared the hell out of everybody. Ted Nolan, what are you doing? Scared Canada like that. It was fantastic, wasn't it? It was great
2: yeah yeah no it's fun i always remember stuff like that um all right yeah we just did like 50 minutes on uh on the world cup of hockey no. and the hockey pdo cast will have a, a part two coming tomorrow where we're gonna look at some of the other rosters so i don't know i know i know there's gonna be some some of those bad apples out there they're gonna go like i can't believe you guys devoted this much time to a world cup of hockey who cares about this stuff it's so far away but i mean it, it's fun it's sort of fun to kind of fantasy booking yeah. this stuff and discussing different combinations as you said even though guys are ultimately just kind of wearing different jerseys and uh mixing it up all together like it, it's fun seeing a little little something new like but this it's okay. and, you, you know, what, was, you know it's okay yeah.
1: too because it harkens back to a um and whenever i see tournaments like this i'm always curious and and, and you know uh, general fanager always sort of puts up the salary cap stats it harkens back to you know what, ha- what what could you do with the best players in the world playing against each other without a salary cap so, never going to see that again in the NHL. Just this idea of putting juggernaut teams together, which you can't do in the NHL anymore.
2: Yeah. That's and the, if you that, do, it's going to be like one year, and then you're going to have to black that it and trade, trade a bunch on the way. Yeah, right? that's like it, right? Like, yeah. listen, I
1: don't want to bum you, out, man. Sorry, I mean, you're my buddy, Dimitri. Come on. We're colleagues now. We're working the same shop. Yeah. So, well, I want to cheer you up a little bit here, pal. Come on. We hung out in Vancouver together <laughs> when I was here. When had yeah. a nice Mexican food meal. You hung out with me at Sports Center mm. for Trade Deadline. It was yep. cool, man. Don't bum me. Hey, man, it's getting yeah. fun, buddy. It's going to yeah. be oh it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Now just just pay the the, the receptionist on the way out. You'll be fine.
2: You cheered me up. I'm back on board.
1: <laughs> All right, you got yeah. you. We got
2: you. All right, cool. Jeff man, thanks for taking the time to uh to do the show. It's always fun.
1: Dude, always, man. I'm always here for you.
2: Cool. Okay, well we'll talk soon. Say As you surely heard at the top, sponsoring today's show is Fresh Books an online service that's designed to help make life easier for small business owners and freelancers like you or I. It can do just that by providing tools such as automatically importing expenses from your bank account, or not having to keep hard copies of receipts lying around the house, or maybe even simply composing and firing off an invoice in a matter of a minute, just using their incredibly easy to use templates. As if all of that wasn't enough, they actually have amazing features that allow you to see when your client has opened the invoice you sent them and automatically actually sends them notice reminders if they're late on their payment to boot. FreshBooks is designed to save you time so you can spend it doing other things you'd rather be doing, like maybe even listening to the show freshbooks is offering a 30-day trial of unrestricted use to all of our listeners and you don't even have to go through the hassle of entering your credit card to sign up like in most other places all you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash pdocast and just make sure to enter hockey pdocast in the how you heard about us section and after that you can immediately start making your life easier today joining me is uh is jen lute costella jen how's it going
0: I'm great. How
2: are you? I'm good. Uh, yesterday, I had Jeff Merrick on, and we previewed the Team Canada, the U23 version of Team North America, and I think Team Russia as well. And in part one, and we just went so long that we decided to break this World Cup of Hockey preview into two parts, and and have you on to discuss the uh, the American team because it felt a little dis- disingenuous with both of us being a uh, both of us being Canadians, not having a, a red blooded American on to discuss the uh, the U.S. team. So it's it's good to have you on
0: my red white and blue blood is
2: here to help. <laughs> um so let's discuss this roster because and we should note that it's the first 16 names and there's still seven people to come so there's no uh there's no necessary snubs or real really omissions that we can kind of get too worked up about because they very well could wind up being on the roster but I think the most obvious thing that stuck out to me was Justin advocator being on this team. <laughs> what do you what do you make of that?
0: You know I'm so confused. I guess they, you know, I was looking at Lombardi's comments about he's not trying to pick the best players. He's trying to pick the right players. Mm. And, you know, like, I get it if he's talking about building a roster for a whole season. Right. um, But in a short tournament, I want guys who are going to go in there and, like, score their butts off. You know, I mean... Advocator great at standing in front of the net and getting you know hit by pucks that then bounce into the net and stuff. Not not taking anything away from him, but I just uh, I don't I don't get that one. I, I think there are plenty of other options that you know can play on either side of of a center that are better
2: yeah well that's the weird thing Canada always used to do this and then sort of in Sochi they revamped their their selection process where they'd always try to pigeonhole guys for certain uh, roles in the lineup and be like oh well this guy's more of a grinder third line type so he's going to fit in in that role on this team and they quickly realized that when you have uh, such a wide array of talents that you can choose from that you should probably just take the best guys especially when you never know when you're going to need to score a goal or generate offense I mean we saw that in Sochi with, with Team 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 us where they couldn't really score against canada or finland their last two games and i think that uh having as many goal scorers whether they're guys like phil kessler or bobby ryan or, or whatnot would be uh beneficial but of course those guys could wind up being on the team by the time they uh, finalize it on june 1st
0: Right. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I, I, I don't get, um, particularly in a short tournament, I don't even get it for an NHL roster of trying to be like, well, this guy's a third line type of guy and this is what we envision. And this is a fourth liner, you know, we're going to take grinders for this. Like, come on yeah. <laughs> no, well, you know, <laughs> like it, particularly in a tournament like this, you can have four scoring lines. Like, yeah. Easily you can have four scoring lines. Um, there's a glut of players, you know, even for the United States, he doesn't have as many players as Canada, Uh, that you can just put like four amazing scoring lines out there and be like, wow, this is awesome. (laughs) This looks really good.
2: Well, there's this weird thing going on with Justin Aplicator where Dean Lombardi had this quote where, and I quote, he says, this is a kid. He's very difficult to play against and he's only going to get better. And I don't think people necessarily realize that Justin Aplicator just turned 29 years old. Uh, it's, it's like the whole, <laughs> right. it's, it's the whole like, uh, young Joe Pavelski thing where people kept talking right. about how, <laughs> young he was, yeah, he was going to take the, take the reins from Joe Thornton and he was going to be the next wave of, a uh, of kind of leadership quality star player for the Sharks. I was like, Joe Pawelski's turning 32 years old this summer. Like, I don't don't know where this is coming from.
0: There, there are guys who I think, I I think to myself, man, that guy's been in the league forever. And then I was like, wait a minute, why is he on the young guns team? Like Brandon Saad, you know what I mean? Like I saw him on the young guns team and I was like, what the, Oh yeah. yeah. He, he is really young. You know, like sometimes I think you forget, but on the other hand, like once a guy hits 30, okay, yeah. really once a guy hits like 27 or 28, you're no longer young in hockey. Yes. You know, like I think of young as being like 25 and under, <laughs> really. Um, but yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, there are several guys, well, at least three that I would just boot off the initial roster immediately and not even include them in the in the expanded roster. Right. Um, but, you know, I don't know. i. Apparently, they didn't to come to me. The <laughs> rosters together, whatever.
2: Yeah, who, who are those three guys? If you don't mind me asking,
0: I would uh, I would get rid of Kessler, Oshie, and Advocator mm-hmm. just like from the get go because I think there are plenty of options that would be that would be a lot better. I mean, I, I I know some people kind of freaked out about Derek Stepan being on there, but I kind of really like him, mm-hmm. particularly if they put like a Blake Wheeler on his wing because Stepan's a hellraiser. I mean, he just creates turnovers, he he finds a way to spring somebody on a rush, you know, he's fast. He can really like he can really do some damage. So I could see, you know, like Stepan and Wheeler being together and and maybe put a guy like JVR or somebody on the other wing I mean they could really they could score it up
2: yeah no that, that'd be a good line um all right let's move to the blue line I think that Bufflin McDonough and Suter were, were no brainers and I guess in theory Carlson would probably be on my on my top seven American defenseman uh, list for this team but he's just such a weird guy to, to dis- dissect and talk about because I have this theory that there isn't a single skater in the league really that has a bigger divide between his actual statistical resume and And the way people discuss him and also how he how he looks upon viewing because he's like this really physically impressive guy where he's big, but he skates well. And when he has the puck, he seems to do good things with it. But for whatever reason, his underlying numbers just don't really reflect that he's a a top flight defenseman. I don't know. Like, what do you what do you make of him as a player?
0: You know what I think it is? I think physically speaking, you're right. Like, he is a specimen, you know? Like, he we expect a lot from him because of the way he looks and the way he seems to be able to perform. I really think with Carlson, it's more of a, a speed in decision-making mm-hmm. thing with him. He it seems like he knows what to do, but sometimes he just doesn't do it quickly enough. Like he, he doesn't make that decision quickly enough. He doesn't read the play quickly enough in order to kind of live up to, to what we expect him to do physically. Um, and I think for defensemen there's really nothing that's more important other than obviously being able to like skate and stuff. Um, but I don't think there's anything that's more important than, than being a really quick decision maker. And you know, and making a really quick decision that's a good one, <laughs> uh, and I think that's hard to do sometimes. I mean, that that takes a lot of, I think, studying of how you're going to play the game, and maybe just some inherent, you know, quickness of mind. Right. And I think maybe that's where Carlson gets into trouble is when he just doesn't make great decisions. Yeah. Sometimes.
2: Yeah. No. That makes sense. I mean, sense. personally,
0: I think I think like Justin Falk would. Would be good there, right? And I'd put like Jay Gardner out there and stuff like that. I, well, there's I think a lot of guys, guys to choose really from, fun. surprisingly,
2: right? I mean, you even have Shattenkirk and Yandel who can generate a ton of offense for you, and then like, I would, Nick yeah, Letty, I mean, Cam Yandel, Fowler.
0: Shattenkirk, Letty. I had all those guys like yeah. written down, like you know, if I could take as many defensemen as I want, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I put on here, yeah. uh, and and so it is kind of tough. Like after a little while of so that's why I kind of think Carlson maybe should fall down the depth chart a little bit there. Cause I think there are some other options, even right shots that are better options like Falk and Chad and Kirk.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. There's a bunch of guys there. Maybe you can bring a Nicoletti and just put him on, on the, on a fourth line wing instead of just an advocator and just have him. Fly Seriously. Around. I
0: mean, like if you're looking for, uh, for zone entries, but you know, I mean, one guy, I think for the forwards, at least that I would love to see there's Kyle Palmer, Paul Mary. Mm. I think he would be fantastic. Yep. I, he's, I think he's a really underrated player. He doesn't get enough attention. And uh, I think he would be terrific there too.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure how, how viable his uh, his candidacy is for this team because as you're right, I, I feel like him playing in, in New Jersey sort of doesn't really do him. It does him a bit of a disservice where he, he's not on the on the forefront of people's minds, but he's he's had a heck of a year.
0: He's not. And, and he can play on either side. I mean, mm-hmm. he has experience playing on both sides of the ice. So he's versatile in that regard because... And you know, Team USA has like this big giant list of right wings that you know they could like choke on, right. but the left wing area is a little bit thinner. And so, if you have already got Pacioretty and Parise there, maybe you put JVR, or put Palmieri over there or something. Bobby Ryan, um, I think they would be you know really really well served to have him on there because he's a pretty dynamic guy.
2: Yeah. Um all right, let's move on to the goaltending because there's this interesting thing going on where I think in Canada they we struggle to replenish the pipeline past this current generation of guys like Price and Holtby whereas with the states I mean you have Heleboyk and John Gibson and Matt Murray all coming up and I think those are actually the three goalies on that on that U23 North American team but right that's something kind of to think about down the road for now for this team I think they picked the the right three guys ultimately because I don't I don't necessarily see any um U.S. goalies that I think got snubbed, but the weird thing for me is, unless there's some sort of unforeseen event that takes place between now and then, I think Jonathan Quick is going to be the guy for them to handle the all the important starts, which I think is a shame, just because Wrong. Corey, Corey Schneider is <laughs> just better at stopping pucks, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, if it was me, Schneider would be my number one, Bishop would be two, and, and Jonathan Quick would be a distant third. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think Jonathan quick is a tremendous athlete. He, he does things that I'm like, gosh, I can't even bend my leg that way. Like that, that's amazing. But I think that Schneider and Bishop are really good goalies. You know what I mean? Like they, they're positional. They don't have to make like crazy acrobatic saves because they're always in the right spot to begin with. And I think that's just a way better style of goaltending and, and more reliable and more consistent uh, then having to rely on, you know, doing all sorts of crazy gymnastics in order to try and make a save. I, I really think it should be Schneider starting the big starts, get Bishop in there too, and whoever's hot. Mm-hmm. Stick with them of those two. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't even bother to start quick during it unless there was like an injury or something.
2: Right. And I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how much say Lombardi is going to have in who actually plays. Like he obviously constructed the team, but he's probably going to leave that to his coaching staff. But at the same time, I think that regardless of who, uh, like uh, of how they approach this Quick has this uh stature around the league as a big game goalie who's obviously had playoff success with the Kings. And I think that that's probably going to prevail here. Like it just seems like the writing's on the wall that Schneider is not going to play unless Quick gets injured or gets completely shelled in the first couple of games. And I don't I don't. I don't know if that's going to totally submarine the U S chances. Cause we've seen quick be put together stretches where he can also play really well and play out of his mind and win some games for his teams. But sure. ultimately it might, it's probably not the best uh, usage of assets.
0: Yeah. I mean, I agree that he needs, to, he, he should be there. He deserves to be there. Right. I, I'm just saying for my purposes, <laughs> I would much rather see like a really solid positional goaltender like Schneider, because I just think it's a way better game plan, but you know, Looking at the roster that they already have, it seems to me, at least, that Tortorella's already had his fingers in in Lombardi's business when it comes to putting the roster together. Is mm-hmm. you know you've got these like like the Kesslers and the Advocators, like the gritty, tough guy, you know, work hard, blah 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 guys. Um, I don't know. Maybe we should just beg Peter Laviolette to reconsider and. Come coach the team instead. Yeah,
2: how how did John Tortorella become the the choice to run this team? And it's like Ron I, Wilson was running no the U.S. team yeah. and the Juniors. It's like couldn't there be a, a better so many here?
0: options? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's just I mean, obviously the U.S. doesn't have as many coaches as uh, coaching options with you know pro experience or anything like that as as Canada. Mm-hmm. But I just. I really dislike Tortorella's, uh, coaching style. And so, you know, I, I from the get go, you're going to have a disagreement with me. I'd much rather see Peter LaVillette in there, but maybe he was too busy or something. Wait, You're, you're,
2: you're telling me you haven't been impressed by uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets this season.
0: You know, oddly enough, I have not, <laughs> <laughs> I have not, I guess I'm just not big into like the, uh, The only way to, you know, get your players to do anything is to be like this giant dictator who, you know, benches everybody all the time and... I, I don't know. I guess there's just different ways to motivate players that perhaps John Tortorella and I disagree upon.
2: <laughs> right. Well, I think last time we had you on the show, you and I specifically discussed how uh, a guy like Artemi Panarin, for example, in the Blackhawks is just such a, a a breath of fresh air because he plays a, a different way than we're used to seeing from a lot of guys that have come up through the North American system over the years, and he sort of hasn't had that fun coached out of him. And, and John Tortorella is basically the antithesis of that, where I, th- I feel like he, if he, yeah if he's he, like
0: the fun hater, yes. President. If, if he
2: had to coach Artemi Panarin, I feel like he'd have a stroke or something because just like see, he would yeah.
0: Panarin would be sitting in the press box every night, like every single night. It would be hilarious,
2: yeah.
0: It would be very funny,
2: yeah. Um, all right, so how, how do you handicap the, the chances for this American team? Like, I think they're pretty talented and pretty deep, but at the same time, it seems like. I I would like them a lot more if they had optimized some of these roster spots a little more. So I'm not sure that when they stack, how they stack up against a team like Sweden or Canada, for example. What do you think?
0: I I'm not giving them a whole lot of um, <laughs> a whole lot of chances mm. right now to like make it, you know, into one of the medals. I, I guess we'll see what they do with the other roster spots open. They've definitely got the goaltending for it. I think they can have the defense for it. Um, But we'll see. I I don't have a lot of confidence in the way Tortorella coaches and his game plan. I think Canada's pretty stacked, of course. Um, Sweden's defense is ridiculous. Uh, And actually, I really like the Russian team a lot. Yes. I mean, their forwards are sick. They're just Assuming they have someone to get them the puck, though, right? Right, yeah. So assuming they can actually get the puck and go from there, their defense is a little little suspect, but um, their forwards are pretty great. So it it should be really interesting. I mean, I don't know. I keep thinking that like Team North America is going to end up wiping the floor with everybody and we're all going to laugh in the end and be like, well... Later, old dudes, you know, good job, (laughs) good effort. (laughs)
2: Yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised. They're so fast, and that is the way the NHL, at least, is trending towards with younger players and playing a faster game. So it makes sense that uh, they'd kind of showcase that in this tournament.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, All right, but before we get you out of here, let's – I remember (laughs) – I forget when we had you on it. I feel like it was maybe two months ago or something like that. And the Blackhawks weren't playing as well as we'd become accustomed to over the past couple of years. And I think we, we didn't sound the panic, like the panic. We didn't hit the panic button or anything like that just because, you know, they built up so much trust with us over the years. We were like, eventually they'll sort of figure this out and, and, and turn, turn, turn things on. And sure enough, they've been playing much, much better lately. And I think last night they, uh, they just blasted the Red Wings out of the water. So I don't know. Like what'd you think of their, of their deadline moves? Did you, like like I'm generally kind of wary of giving up a bunch of picks for rentals, just trying to win it. But it seems like if anyone's going to do it, they're definitely like one of the few teams in the position to kind of pull that stuff off.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought that they did a pretty nice job of bringing in, I mean, Andy Ladd, of course, you know, like he can't really go, go wrong with him. Um, and when Tosa comes back, I think that first line will be pretty terrific. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I Actually, I thought the Erhoff acquisition was pretty good, just in that he's not Rob Scuderi, A, and B. Um, his style, you know, I always thought of him as more offensive-minded, mm-hmm. and I think that really fits with the Blackhawks system. Um, and he looked pretty good last night. You know, he was pretty good at... Um, getting the puck out of the zone pretty quickly and, you know, you have a million options when you're Chicago for who's going to be there in the neutral zone to take the puck from you. So I I think Earhuff actually is going to turn out to, to work out pretty well for them. I think their system just really works with that much better, which works with this style of play. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, and they didn't really, I mean, they gave up some picks. Yeah, but I don't think they care all that much right. at this point uh, <laughs> because, they, you know, they have a pretty nice system um, of forwards. At least their defense is a little bit thin, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, I like I like we said before, I, I've harped and harped on poor play during the season from these guys, and then they go into the playoffs, and I look like an idiot because they all of a sudden are like, "Hey guys, let's play some good hockey." <laughs> okay, and they just yeah. go do it. So yeah, wake us <laughs> yeah, well, up with the know, playoffs. And I though. laughed yeah. like right and like february is just typically a terrible month for them like halfway through january all the way through february they're just garbage and then all of a sudden march comes and they're like hey it's getting pretty close to playoffs time we should like go win some games yeah. and then they start looking like world beaters so I, my guess is that's what they're gonna do again
2: yeah that no, makes sense um all right jen well thanks a lot for taking the time to uh come on the show and discuss the blackhawks and team u.s and i'm sure uh, as the year gets going here we'll um We'll get you back on and we'll discuss the Blackhawks playoff chances once we know who they're actually playing.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Yep.